Okay, we'll finish the scripture reading from Psalm 118 now, verses 25 through 29. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we give, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine on us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Happy Fourth of July. It's a day that we get to talk about freedom. And this afternoon, Phil's already getting excited. This afternoon, many of you have some celebrations going on. If you don't have a place to be, there's a lot of people hosting some activities. My family's going to be with the Van Prosdies and a few others down in Stewartville for the parade and uh, fireworks. So if you're alone this afternoon, evening, come and find me after worship and let's, let's join our families together. But enough about America. Let's talk about Jesus. It's even greater freedom found in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, you have given us life in a nation that historically has been blessed with abundant freedom. And it was a freedom that was meant to point us to a greater freedom in Christ, to give us freedom to go proclaim Jesus, to live for Jesus, to die for Jesus. I pray, God, that our eyes would be more focused than ever this morning, not on our rights as American citizens, but as our in our privileges as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, where we will be free forever and ever. God, fill our hearts with confidence in your goodness, in your steadfast love that sets us free to enjoy your presence forever. Thank you for the work of Jesus that accomplished that for us. Amen. Now, the early Christians had a lot of different perspective on freedom than we do today. When they received the good news that Jesus died and rose from the dead to set them free, they gladly ran into all kinds of bondage for the sake of Christ. Just a few generations after the apostles, there was a couple of women named Perpetua and Felicitas. Women who lived in North Africa had great privilege in the Roman Empire and they made a valiant stand for Christ. Perpetua and Felicitas were happy to go into the arena and be fed to wild beasts to proclaim their trust in the goodness of God. Perpetua was a relative of Caesar who she fell out of favor with because of her faith in Jesus. Her family had told her, just all you got to do to stay in the good graces of Caesar is make this little offering to him to pledge your allegiance to his kingdom. 
It was so routine for everybody in the empire that they did it without thinking about it. It's like in school when you grow up and you just say the Pledge of Allegiance over and over. It doesn't really mean anything to you. But it meant something to her. She could not do it. Because her allegiance was to Christ alone. And now this woman of great nobility found herself in a musty prison cell awaiting a gruesome death. And with her was her servant, Felicitas. Young woman that they tried to use to take advantage of her to get Perpetua to come to her senses. But Felicitas wouldn't do it either. The two of them together were so utterly committed to Jesus. They stood arm in arm in that jail. In their minds, giving the government the smallest bit of allegiance that did not belong to them was unfaithfulness to their Lord. It was no minor matter. They had counted the cost and made their choice. Perpetua's father came to visit her in jail, awaiting her time of execution, and he pled with her, come to your senses, daughter. Don't you know what's about to happen? Don't you know how hard you are being on me in my old age? He explained to Perpetua that her choice was causing all kinds of trouble throughout the family. People were now persecuting her family because of her choice. Their lives in danger because of her choice. But she just couldn't do it. What made it even more difficult was both Perpetua and Felicitas had babies in jail with them. Perpetua still nursing her young infant and Felicitas gave birth in jail to her child. Shouldn't they think of these children who need their mothers? Just do it so these kids can have their moms. They said, no, we cannot do it. We will trust God to care for our children through our brothers and sisters in Christ. While she was giving birth to her child, Felicitas was in great pain, crying out in distress. And one of the guards was mocking her the whole time, saying, you should have thought about this pain before you refused to pledge allegiance to Caesar. The beasts tearing you apart will be a lot worse. But even these taunts could not persuade her to do the thing that she thought was an offense to her Lord who gave his life for her. And so, both of these women, against all the pressure of their families, against all the distress of prison, against all the taunts and promises of freedom and safety, went singing into the arena where the wild animals ushered them into the presence of Christ. True freedom in the presence of Jesus. They didn't do it against their will. Christ had set them free to face this humiliation boldly, to proclaim their confidence in the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord. As I read through Psalm 118 this week, over and over, I could not get this story out of my mind, thinking about freedom as we celebrate on the 4th of July the freedom that these women proclaimed in their deaths is so much different than the freedom we celebrate every summer. Their freedom wasn't bought by soldiers in battle, but by Christ on the cross. 
Their freedom was not to be used to live as they pleased, but to give their lives for the sake of Christ. Their freedom wasn't experienced fully even in this life, but guaranteed in the one to come. And they were so convinced that the steadfast love of the Lord had set them free to proclaim the steadfast love of the Lord. That's our main idea from Psalm 118. What we are called to in our freedom as well. The steadfast love of the Lord sets every one of us free to proclaim in our lives the steadfast love of the Lord. With this freedom, we're just going to, as quickly as we can, run through Psalm 118, 29 verses in three different parts. First in verses 1 through 4, the foundation of freedom. The steadfast love of the Lord as the truth we stand on when the pressures of the world push against us. And then in 5 to 18, the fight of freedom. How are we to stand in these battles to stay free? And finally, in verses 19 to 29, called to participate in the function of freedom. That that purpose for which God sets us free to proclaim the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's go back to the beginning and start with that foundation of freedom. As we read for our call to worship in those first few verses, the psalm starts with this declaration. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalms are meant to be songs sung by the congregation as they gather in the temple. And this psalm leader is calling everyone to join in this chorus. Whether you're a descendant of Abraham, a a priest in the line of Aaron, or even just a Gentile who's turned your back on your old ways and come to the God of Israel to worship. Join us in worshiping Him. This same foundational call repeated by everyone. They need to remember in all circumstances of life, God is good. Even when your enemies surround you. Even when your despair clouds your vision of Him. He is still good. When our son Ethan died earlier this year, someone gave us a a book called The Moon is Always Round. To teach this very truth. No matter what the moon looks like, sometimes it's kind of squished, looks like a watermelon, or sometimes it looks like a banana, but it's always round. No matter what you see, sometimes it's cloudy or there's a new moon and you can't see it at all, but the moon is still round. Likewise, no matter whether we can see God or not, He is still good. We need to train ourselves in this truth over and over before the difficulty comes. The more we engrave these truths on our heart, the more they come out of us when we are squeezed. Molly likes to tell the kids that we are sponges. And when we are squeezed, what was in is what comes out. The psalmist knows that this truth of God's goodness and steadfast love must be repeated to force it into our hearts. So that is what comes out in our times of trial. We can be Sure of God's steadfast love. That word means his covenant faithfulness, his loyalty to his promises. No matter what happens in your life, God will not change his mind. He will hold you fast. He won't take away the promises of eternal freedom. 
God's character, his goodness, his steadfast love is the foundation of any freedom that enables us to live. Any notion of freedom, any notion of love or calling in our lives of purpose must be founded on this goodness and steadfast love of the Lord. And so now we, with that foundation, we move on in the psalm and we see, like many like to say today, freedom is not free. It requires constant pursuit of it. Verses 5 through 18 show our psalmist's fight for freedom. It's not really clear specifically what he was going through, but he writes this song with language that's vague enough that any one of you going through whatever trials you face can see yourself in these words with your unique challenges and find hope in them. I know many of you, this room is filled with your Stories of difficulty, of sadness, of trials and temptation and of failure, of weakness, of longing for freedom from all of these things. Some of you have marital troubles that you just can't seem to escape. Or Satan's often reminding you of your past to tell you you're a failure. You can't be used by God. This room is filled with former drug addiction, pornography addiction, debilitating illnesses, job difficulties, societal pressures, depression, anger, broken relationships, perfectionism. The list of spiritual battles rages on and on. We want to be free from these things. How? What does freedom look like? As we read through Psalm 118, we realize that the freedom he's offering us isn't freedom from the difficulty, but freedom in it. Like Perpetua, who remained in jail, even with all the offers to be set free. She was previously one of the most free women in the Roman Empire, and she freely chose to go to jail. She wasn't free from the pressures surrounding her, but she experienced freedom with Jesus through it. When they led her into the arena, they tried to dress her and her companions up as different Roman gods so they could look like they were replaying some ancient battle of the Roman gods. And she refused. She said, we came to this of our own free will, that our freedom should not be violated. We agreed to pledge our lives provided we would do no such thing. She said, I came here to put on display my God, not your false Roman gods. The word set me free in verse 5 means that the psalmist was put in a wide open place to run and fulfill his purpose. This arena was a wide open place for a perpetua to fulfill her purpose. Historically, Christian philosophers and theologians defined freedom as a positive freedom. Freedom for, freedom to do something rather than freedom from things. God's freedom is what enables you to live for Him. No matter what pressures the world puts on you. God's goodness and steadfast love will enable you to fight for this freedom. And verses 5 to 18 show us how we fight. 
First, right away in verse 5, the psalmist prays. It says he calls upon the Lord. He's confident the Lord will answer him and set him free. Prayer must be your first step in every battle. Prayer is showing your dependence upon God. A recognition that all of these battles are too great for me. I don't have the strength to do it, God. Please step in, take this from me, and work on my behalf. It's laying the struggle into his hands and then stepping back to watch him win. And so the rest of this fight for freedom is simply declaring to yourself, fighting with yourself to trust in the power of God to fight for you. The psalmist uses this repetition as his battle strategy in this fight. Verses 6 to 7, he repeats the truth that the Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. God's fighting for him and near him, and in him, and through him, and by him. Knowing that God is near gives you just a whole new perspective in all of your battles. You can see God's got this. We tell ourselves, we visualize as best we can, he is right here, jumping in, wielding his sword, slaying my enemies. Why do I need to fight when he's doing it for me? When Felicitas was in painful labor in prison, And that guard was mocking her about how painful it's going to be. She responded, what I am suffering now, I suffer by myself. But then another will be inside me who will suffer for me as I am suffering for him. She was telling herself, the Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. We are not alone in the battle. And the psalmist continues the fight in verses 8 and 9. And he has a new repetition. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. In the midst of any spiritual battle, we will have all these temptations to run to the protection of society's safety nets or worldly leaders, specialists in the world, people who will make us feel more comfortable but can't get to the root of our hearts. Or surround ourselves with people who just think like us instead of confronting us and leading us to freedom in the steadfast love of the Lord. Oftentimes our worldly choices simply compound the problem, make our trouble worse. But seeking God's refuge is always the better path. When you stand and display your confident trust in the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord, you let Him fight the battle. You let Him draw people to Himself. And you find freedom to enjoy His work. Even when it feels like there's no escape. Sometimes... It just feels like it's crowding in. The world's turning black. You get tunnel vision and you can't see any other options. You can't hear any other voices except the one that's oppressing you over and over. No choice seems like it will be the right answer. It's a no-win situation. This is what the psalmist describes in verses 10 to 13. Surrounded by the nations, surrounded on all sides by his enemies, surrounded by a swarm of bees, surrounded by a raging fire. 
This is all that metaphorical language helping draw you in. That's what I feel like today. I can't escape. But scattered throughout this, he says, I will cut it off. Perhaps you felt like life has forced all of these no-win situations onto you. The pressure seems too great. It's insurmountable. And you either just want to fight back in your own strength or, as many of us would prefer, just walk away, cut it out, and withdraw from the problem. This needs to be cut off with truth. Most of the time in these impossible feeling situations, we like to think we make rational decisions, but we aren't thinking clearly. We just give in to whichever pressure is the greatest, whichever one of these voices speaks the loudest to our hearts, but we cannot let these voices speak any longer. We must cut them off. And so the psalmist says, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. In the name of the Lord means by his goodness, by his steadfast love, by his power, by his authority, I will remain free and trust him to rescue me. And when we have that freedom, it it releases our hearts and we can see clearly through all of the darkness, all of the fog, and we can make more rational decisions, we no longer have to fear. We take our next step based on the steadfast love of God. We walk in His work, in His plans and promises. We just return to those basic ordinary steps. Praying, filling our hearts with Scripture, gathering with God's people, helps calm our hearts down to see clearly through the chaos. In these things, he will keep us from falling and pick us back up when we do. And our last tool he gives us for fighting for our freedom is singing. Look at verses 14 to 16. This is actually part of the song from Exodus 15. Our psalmist is singing of God's strength and of God's salvation. He sings this joyful song to overcome the despair that's creeping into his heart. His song repeats the deeds of the Lord. This, this song comes from when Israel is rescued from Egypt right after they come through the Red Sea and the waters crash down on Egypt. They turn around, they look up, and they start singing. We, can, we don't need to wait till after the victory to sing that song. We sing it through the battle as a guarantee of that victory. Music has a great way of reminding us of God's power and how faithful he has been throughout history. It digs that truth deep into our hearts. So it's much more difficult to forget that God is near and God is good and he is strong. Sometimes when I can't sleep at night and I got all kinds of things going through my head, my mind is constantly going, analyzing every scenario most often scenarios that will never come to pass. I know some of you are plagued with that curse as well. And I just remind myself, pick a song and sing of God's amazing love and Christ's steadfast covenant loyalty. And usually by the 
first, middle of the first or second song, my heart is calmed down enough that I can finally drift off to sleep. When Perpetua was led into the arena to face the beasts, they said she began to sing a song, a psalm. I can't help but wonder if it was Psalm 118. Her biographer writes after picking up the story that as she sang that song and marched into the arena, it appeared to him as though she had already won the victory. That she had slayed that ancient serpent, he said, that sought to bring her down. The song gave her victory as she proclaimed the steadfast love of the Lord. At one point, after the beasts had started to rip her body apart, she lay on the ground, all bloody and scraped up. And she asked her companions, when are they going to release the wild beasts? Is it starting yet? And they marveled. Wow, look at this woman. They assured her the trial had already begun. We've been battling for a long time, but she was so caught up in the glory of the Lord, free in his presence, she didn't even realize her flesh had failed. This is the confidence the psalmist displays in verses 17 and 18. With these weapons of spiritual battle, even if it feels like certain death is imminent, this is all just God's training ground to free you for his purposes. The word discipline here doesn't mean punishment for wrongdoing. It's God's hand directing you towards greater trust. When you're praying and reciting scripture and singing, especially with others, no matter the trial, you can cut off all those enemies, declaring to yourself the steadfast love of the Lord. And so the psalmist realizes his function of freedom He said in verse 17 that he will recount the deeds of the Lord. This is his purpose, the reason God saved him. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would far rather depart and be with Christ. That's much better. But if I'm to remain in the flesh, that only means fruitful labor for me. I'm not going to waste a moment of my life. I'm going to battle for freedom in Christ. The same with Perpetua. Her story says that her sacrifice, her bravery captivated the attention of the audience. They watched this woman sing while her arms are getting ripped off. And they they marveled. They stood in stunned silence watching. And with this captivated audience and her last remaining breath, she called them to repentance. She warned them of impending judgment at the return of Christ. And she declared to them her hope in the steadfast love of the Lord. And now in verses 19 to 29, it just describes this march of that freed saint back into the presence of the Lord. That's what Perpetua was doing, just marching right into God's presence. God's salvation is meant to draw us into his presence with his people to sing his praises. This last section of the psalm is a procession toward the temple. Verses 19 to 21 are this individual walking toward the temple and arriving at the gates of righteousness to worship and give thanks to the God who saved him. He knows he can't go in those gates because he's not righteous. 
But now, because God saved him by his mercy, he may enter. His greatest enemy, he realizes, was never the nations surrounding him, the swarms of pests, the plagues that threatened him, but the sin that indwelled him. He needed rescue from himself, from the enemy within. When the enemy is inside of you, there is no other rescue than God. So he approaches the temple, but as he looks upon the temple, he realizes something important in 22 and 23. The righteousness he needs is found in a place that the rest of the world rejects. God's rescue is so counterintuitive to the world. What the world thinks is, what the world despises, God uses for his kingdom. What the world thinks is dangerous and weak and foolish, God makes safe and secure and wise. We proclaim a message in this church that looks like death, looks like silliness to the world, to our coworkers and neighbors, but it's a far more certain promise of freedom. What looked like the end of perpetuous life was the beginning of her march into freedom. It was guaranteed in Christ. So the New Testament writers quote this, these two verses, 22 and 23, often to point us to the righteousness that the world despises, yet provides us the greatest freedom. In, in this weird way, the world can't see it, but we are given eyes to see, he says, and delight in it, that the cornerstone that the world rejected has become the chief cornerstone, that is Christ in his death and resurrection. The Roman authorities, the Jewish leaders thought Jesus was just a pawn to be used in their own political game. And when he became a little inconvenient, they just got rid of him. They had him killed. And yet what they rejected turned out to be the foundation of a brand new kingdom. Jesus rising from the dead was the beginning of a new nation, a new people who still will be rejected by this old world because our freedom looks like bondage to them. Our health and our joy looks like illness, sickness, and depression to them. Our life looks like death to them. Apart from Christ, they will always say that until they are given eyes to see how marvelous this truth is. Jesus died and rose from the dead to guarantee your safety from sin, victory over that inner beast, to guarantee victory over every enemy, over every fear, every threat, every pressure on your life, so that even when you die, you will rise to victory in his presence. That is true freedom. And when the early church realized this, they ran into the face of danger to eager to see this kind of freedom and the steadfast love of the Lord put on display for all to see. They ran into plagues. They picked up discarded children off the street. They cared for lepers. They gave away all their belongings because they were free in the resurrection. Their freedom wasn't freedom from persecution, freedom from slavery, freedom from poverty, freedom from sickness. It was freedom from sin. It was freedom from fear. But more importantly, it was freedom to proclaim salvation in Jesus. 
freedom to march right into the holy temple of God. This is the freedom that Perpetua had that made her willing to turn her back on her family, even her own baby, and face those beasts because she knew that in a moment, one more breath, she would be free to sing forever in the presence of Jesus. This is why we gather every Sunday to sing these promises, to hold one another on that path until we get to breathe our first breath and sing that song in the new creation. These stories of individual faithfulness are transformed into corporate stories of salvation. In verses 25 and 20 to 27, the pronouns switch from singular throughout the whole psalm to plural. I becomes we. When you are saved by God's mercy, you are saved and placed in a family who gather to exalt his name, to light his path to safety. So his face shines upon one another. When you are saved, he puts you in a community to fight together until we finally arrive. We walk with each other toward heaven, shouting, as verse 25 says, save us, we pray. Translated through Hebrew and Greek, that's Hosanna. Hosanna. This is what was proclaimed when Jesus was arriving at Jerusalem. They thought they had finally got their full salvation. They got part of it. And we continue to proclaim Hosanna together, expressing our unified devotion in these gathered rituals to keep us free in Christ until we arrive. Friends, we have a lot to be thankful for in this country where freedom has been a major theme for much of its existence. But freedom has not led this country to greater devotion to Christ. We're now drifting away from true freedom. But I believe that God is taking away some of our American freedoms that we're accustomed to, to drive us to greater freedom in the steadfast love of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, whatever trials press in on you or surround you, follow the example of Perpetua and Paul and Felicitas and this psalmist to find the freedom your heart longs for. Declare to yourself and to one another the good, steadfast love of the Lord. Humble yourself in prayer. Repeat to yourself these truths. Sing of them until they are driven deep into your soul. And use them to proclaim your trust in the victory of Christ. We have been remade to live and proclaim his steadfast love. Our eternal freedom. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this freedom. Our hearts should be free to face every danger. To put the steadfast love of the Lord right before our face, to drive it deep into our hearts. Our hearts are free to say no to every single pressure in the world and to continue to fight for freedom in Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends in this room who today are struggling with doubts and fears, that you would free them in Christ, 
from that internal beast that tries to pull them down. I pray them you would free them from attacks of the devil who strives to make them not useful for your purposes. I pray, God, that we would never give up on one another. We would never leave anyone behind. We would press on as a church family together, speaking this truth into our heart until Jesus returns or calls us home. God, we thank you for that freedom. Keep us safe in your steadfast love in Christ. Amen.